Hello, I'm Anne Mossop, Sydney Writers' Festival Artistic Director. We hope you enjoy this episode from our podcast program. Hi, how are we all doing? Yes, big thumbs up from the front row, we love to see it. Happy election day to you. My name is Ange Lavoie-Pierre and you are at the Curiosity stage, which is very good news for you because you are about to hear uh, a lecture from um, an incredible woman named Claire G. Coleman. Now, before we go any further, I would like to uh, acknowledge that we are on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Um, sovereignty was never ceded and I would like to pay my respect to their elders past and present. So Claire G. Coleman, for those of you uh, who haven't had the pleasure of reading her or seeing her speak yet, uh, is a Wurlaman Noongar woman whose ancestral country is on the south coast of Western Australia. So she's come a very long way via Nam, via Melbourne. Uh, she is a writer and a poet. She has authored four books, two of them novels, uh, her debut Terra Nullius and another called The Old Lie. Some people who've read it, I hear. Uh, Claire's most recent release and her first non-fiction book is called Lies, Damned Lies, A Personal Exploration of the Impact of Colonisation. And that was published in September of last year. And two of the three of those books are actually in the bookstore. One of them has sold out already. So, you know, you've got to be... Yes, absolutely. Uh, so you've got to be quick if you want to get one of those books. So make sure you do visit the bookstore um, after today's lecture. Uh, and today's lecture from Claire is going to be on the topic of decolonizing the literary canon. I don't want to tell you too much about it because that's what she's here to do. Uh, but suffice to say, if you are here to see one of our uh, most fierce and impressive literary minds pick a fight with none other than William Shakespeare, then you are in the right place. Please make very welcome to the stage, Claire G. Coleman. I'm going to have to put on my reading glasses, unfortunately, because I'm no longer so, as young as I used to be. Who is, though, right? Okay. I, uh, I often court controversy, for I do not fear it. Although I think I enjoy it less than everyone expects me to. People think I actually enjoy it. I don't. Um... Hang on. What I'm about to tell you is perhaps beyond controversial and approaching actual taboo. In other words, I'm about to make many of you, including some friends, if I have friends in the audience, fairly angry. And I both care and don't care about that. Some things are more important than you being comfortable. But I'm not 100% sure this is one of them. I have a dream that one day we can and will decolonise the literary canon that works on people of colour, indigenous people, black women, queer black women can have a place to shine and room to breathe, space to stretch out and flower. I have a dream, writers breaking free from their cocoons, filling their wings with air, stretching them, showing all the beauty that has been hidden for so long. I have a dream that kids will study a broader canon that I had a chance to experience. I have a dream. Black and Indigenous writers will be represented equally in lists of the greatest literary works of all time. 
I have a dream. To sleep, to sleep, perchance to dream, aye, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this fucking obsession with Shakespeare? <laughs> Look, if Shakespeare was alive, I would tell old Will, it's nothing personal. He's just the oldest and deadest of all dead white men. I would tell him the way I see him is the way he might have looked at the writers of older generations. If he was alive, he might understand that the best works of literature of all time are of their time, like his was. Look, there are two concepts, two major forces in tension here. Two households alike in dignity, forget I fucking said that. Some things I would argue are completely incompatible with each other. We cannot achieve one aim while we continue with the other aim. One thing must fall before we can begin again with the other, before the other can rise. And I want it to rise, I want it to fly. I want to open up the sky so there's enough room for all of us. I want modern literature from living artists, from queer, diverse writers, from people of colour, women of colour, black and indigenous women to thrive. I want these works to become part of the canon. I want people like me to be able to examine the canon and see ourselves. Many of us, including many of you in the audience, are in agreement that we must expose the theatre-going public, school children who might want to learn from theatre, kids studying liquid literature, academics and literature, thinkers and our entire culture to a broader canon, including works by writers of colour, disadvantaged writers, disabled writers, queer writers, working class writers. We need to develop and elevate the sorts of voices that have rarely, if ever, been heard before. There are so many works out there that have had no chance to shine because they never performed, are never seen, are not performed at school or studied by students, are never analysed by academia at universities. And this is definitely not because they're not good enough. Rather, they're never given the exposure they need or they're shaded and shadowed from the light of attention. Okay, I admit it, my metaphors become a little mixed at this point. But without works being exposed, without theatre goers being exposed to broader works, many writers would not bother writing them. No one would write them in the first place, and then no one would publish them or perform them. Not because they've never been exposed to, not, well, not only because they've never been exposed to works by people like them, and but they cannot imagine themselves to be a writer because there's no writers like them in the canon, but also because they receive no support from a system that de devalues voices that aren't old, dead, white dudes. Obviously, the best way to amplify works on people of colour, give them a chance to become part of the canon, is to publish, develop and produce them. The best way to encourage people of colour to produce great work is to fund that work, provide opportunities and role models. How many people out there in the wider world think they can never be writers because they've never seen great works by people like them. We must increase 
funding to writers of colour. We must produce their works. We must give them their time in the sun. Let their wings dry. The only way to ensure this is to produce those works and fund them from as many different cultures as possible. The other concept, of course, the one that is crowding these works out, crowding diverse works and diverse voices out of the market, vying for our attention and vying for the arts funding is this notion that we must always perform, platform and study Shakespeare. Who would now consider the bard a role model? We often talk about needing less old white men in the canon, less old white men being taught in school, performed, filmed and elevated. Shakespeare is considered to be the writer among the earliest extant works of literature in the English language. In other words, he is among the oldest of old white dudes. And I know this is controversial, and I know many of you are tensing up with the very idea of removing the bard from our lives. But the question is, should that thought even be controversial? Works come and go. They, they rise up and they fall away from the canon. They wax and wane in importance constantly. Why has Shakespeare been, um, been spared the indignity of being ignored? Why can we not imagine removing the bard to make room for new works? Some of you are thinking, I know you are. Do we even need to remove things to make room? Think for a moment on a theatre company that might, in, an imagine, in our imaginary mental world, produce only two shows a year. Only two. And then plays that we might want to be seen production or they might want to put on, the actors might want to act in, writers might want to write, must compete for those two spaces, two slots, only two. Now imagine something so mundane it need not even be imagined, that one of those shows must be by William Shakespeare. Now this is not mundane, this is not an imagination. I have heard a theatre director tell me that they always do one Shakespeare in their company a year. I've heard teachers say that every year they do at least one Shakespeare. They, they do other things, but one Shakespeare. And that means that the, of the two shows they might do, or the two things they might study, one is Shakespeare, the other could be something else. And that something else might get a chance to shine for a moment. Now that, that something else, that one extra white show, might be something else from the Western canon, like Medea, for example. It might be something more modern, like I don't know, waiting for Godot, or the importance of being earnest, or contemporary like Bowie's play Lazarus, which came out a few years ago, or so on. I doubt in the face of that, in the face of the assumption that the Western canon is all white dudes, works by less melanin deficient writers will ever get a chance to be talked about. I bet every one of you out there right now can name at least one Shakespeare play but I bet none of you can name an Indigenous or Black playwright. So I would encourage a theatre company to release one production of something by an Indigenous writer or a person of colour. But then they would miss out on a production of something they know will be popular. And I'm not talking about Shakespeare here. I genuinely don't think that Shakespeare has been genuinely popular for a long time. 
the, voice, the works by voices that rarely get a chance to breathe will die because Shakespeare has sucked all the air out of the room. You can only add more to the canon if you make room for it, if you give the workspace to grow. If, however, you stop performing Shakespeare, there will be more space, more clear air for works you don't know of from writers you've never heard of. And they would be more culturally relevant too. The, the real thing about Shakespeare that few of us want to admit is, is this. Shakespeare's words, language, concepts, world, history are, are largely irrelevant and unrelatable to a modern audience. I, I'm a writer. I, I play with words for a living. And like every artist, I must be aware of the changes in taste and culture in thinking. This improves your work, to be aware of how the artistic canon in which you work, the artistic world in which you're working has changed. You, you, and if you're not aware of what comes before, you can't do good work. So therefore, we must be aware of the canon to do our work better. However, often one must be taught the cultural context behind a work. We have to be taught the history and the language. And if people must be educated to understand a work, then it is not relevant to them. Teaching Shakespeare is not about teaching the English language. Teaching Shakespeare is about teaching the language of Shakespeare. Um, sorry, my mic just sounded like went dead. Teaching Shakespeare is about teaching the language of Shakespeare. It does, it's got no relevance anymore to the way language is used in our culture. That is that far removed from English. And, what, and what, what is teaching Shakespeare? It's the same thing as performing Shakespeare. It's a looking back, a striving for an, a now distant time, a time that was extremely, when you think about it, extremely classist, sexist, homophobic, racist. A time in which women were not allowed to be artists, writers or actors, when women in plays were played by boys. And yet, homosexuality and gender diversity were illegal. A little aside here, I think we would all agree it'd be more interesting and we'd all want to watch Shakespeare more if they did it properly traditionally, with Juliet being played by a young man, as opposed to the way they do it now. In fact, it's more common in recent times to have male characters in Shakespeare played by women then have the male character, the women, female characters played by men. It is interesting, despite our obsession with Shakespeare being important because of tradition, we ignore some of those traditions. Therefore, is it really about tradition? Or is it about being conservative? And that is perhaps the most important thing about Shakespeare and its continuing importance. It's conservative and, and it's evidence that our culture is conservative. And here's the, here's the kicker to me. Shakespeare came into prominence during the colonial era, when his people, the English, were invading the world, subjugating people they could not kill and making slaves of others. Do we really need to give special status to works from the time that was unquestionably the worst time to be a person of colour? Can we decolonise our culture 
and learn to be a new people when Shakespeare is still dominant in the canon. I, I, but I, I hear you say, on what I hear you say, but I hear you think it, it's like, you know, you think it's so hard. There's evidence of homosexual desire and obsession with black people in Shakespeare's, not, um, Shakespeare's plays and sonnets, I hear you say. Sure, there are modernist re-readings of Shakespeare, some attempts at queering them, but I've read them, and they, they smell of desperation, of a desperate desire to insert undeserved relevance and diversity into the most dead white man of works. What about his language, I can hear you think? It's beautiful, it's powerful. It's loaded with what are now old words, but were at the time neologisms. People have said to me many times the power of Shakespeare is that it created many of the words we now use in English. Well, so is rap music, and so is social media. Shakespeare is not alone in creating neologisms. We just imagine he is because of the distance of time has made us forget he was a contemporary of his age. Like, for example, rapper, writer, actor, and comedian Briggs. Shakespeare was a soap opera writer of his time, perhaps the stock Aiken of Waterman of the 16th century. Um, a, a writer called Mark Powell wrote in The Guardian in 2014, our schools are full of Shakespeare, but in the wrong places. Old Uncle Bill has become to the relative, we invite the family gatherings out of habit, not because we actually want to. He sits there in the corner sharing the stories with anyone who'll listen. The adults lend a patient out of sense of duty, and most of the kids have no concept of the vitality of his youth. And there's something else we, we don't want to think about either. Shakespeare does not need the money. He's dead. And there's no record he has issue, like no record of his children. They're dead. And even if they weren't, copyright doesn't last 400 years. And wouldn't it be nice to have some living writers in the literary canon who can actually benefit from having their work produced in a time when so many artists are hungry? Perhaps they need to allow other works to learn to breathe, allow the world to learn, world to learn new works, new creators and new creations. We need a new canon and new things to compare works to. Think about this for a moment. Is it not possible that the reason everyone believes Shakespeare to be the greatest writer of all time is that he was always believed to be the greatest writer of all time? We've defined him as the greatest writer of all time and we compare him as the greatest writer of all time to Shakespeare. Put simply, Shakespeare is the defining cultural idea of what the greatest writer of all time is, and therefore, he's only ever compared to himself. He is the benchmark, and of course, the benchmark will always reach the benchmark. What if we had another view of the best work in the world and compare Shakespeare to that? What if the choreo poem for coloured girls who have considered suicide was the benchmark for a great work? Would the bars still stand up? If instead we see Shakespeare as a populist who's gained his special status merely because of the tyranny of time, a kind of artistic gerontocracy, can it not be said that these words, I went out walking the other day, the heat hung wet around my neck, my head had rung with screams and moans for the night I spent amongst her bones, which is from the incomparable Australian artist Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, the song Public Leave You Henry, are at least comparable to Shakespeare. Okay, sure, Nick's white, right? But he's alive at the start. 
and he's Australian and a punk and relatively relevant. Um, Henry's dream is possibly the punk Shakespeare of my generation. That's what I grew up with. And those lyrics are what, those very lines are the lines that made me want to be a writer. Well, how about this lyric? I'm certain none of you've heard of. Heaven knows all about cause and reaction. You see, a man with no dream is a man throwing caution to the wind. It's as though there's a storm hanging over me, come to take me away as though I have no control. That's on a song called Only One Dream by blackfella Aaron B singer David Lahar, known as Radical Son. Now, I used music because for non-white people, that's where poetry lives. We experience slam poetry and rap, hip-hop and R&B, not sonnets and Shakespeare as what teaches us poetry. And what if we stopped performing Shakespeare for a while, allowed other works room to breathe, allow other works to be seen as the greatest works of all time. Then in a few generations, when a generation of children or so have never been exposed to old will, when a new concept of the greatest writer in English has formed naturally, let's bring Shakespeare back. Let people see his works with new eyes. Let Shakespeare be compared to a new benchmark rather than Shakespeare being compared to the benchmark of Shakespeare. What if the benchmark for the greatest literature of all time was a hip-hop opera, or hip-hopera, or, or a play, or a slam poem by a great black indigenous author? How would Shakespeare compare then if the greatest work of English was by a person of colour, a black writer, an indigenous writer, a victim of colonisation, not the coloniser? Another site I hear often from arts organisations and from producers and others within the arts, that they want to appeal to a younger audience. They love to find a way to get younger, more diverse audience into the theatre. Perhaps that might be achievable if they bothered to amplify works that a younger, more diverse audience might actually be interested in. Look, I think Shakespeare's okay. But I, don't, I honestly don't think it stands up against some more modern writing. I think we just love it because it's old. Or because we're told we have to and taught we have to in school. When I bring up these arguments against a bard in some circles, the response sometimes is often that people who don't like Shakespeare just don't understand writing or theatre. Well, I do understand writing and I do understand theatre. Shakespeare could write, but he's not all that. I, I have met people at least as good as him. There are people at least as good as Shakespeare at this very festival, and they're alive. In the modern contemporary context, works by writers at this festival, living writers, diverse writers, are more important than dusty old Shakespeare. So why do people struggle to be heard while the fans of Shakespeare clamour so loudly? I can't help but wonder if our obsession with Shakespeare has a darker basis. Whether or not there's intent involved, do we consider Old Will sacred because he represents the time we're obsessed with? When, when men were men, women were women, or in, in women were men, really, but when queers were hung, witches were burned. When white people used the blade and the gun to dominate the world. Do you love Shakespeare far beyond reason because you want to return to his time, to what you think of the good old days, when you might end up with wooden teeth 
but at least you can use the law and fear to stop people of colour from competing with you. Perhaps Shakespeare and a modern recession is all about enforcing the social hierarchies of his time. Can we decolonise? While admiration for Shakespeare is assumed, while a desire for Shakespeare to not be taught, not be elevated, is considered taboo. When I'm doing this lecture with a certain knowledge that some people will attack me, even hate me, for saying, I don't think we should be performing or teaching Shakespeare anymore. I speak a lot about decolonisation, about Australia being Australia, the people living in this continent embracing its unique attributes and the oldest living culture on earth. I've spoken many times at length about decolonisation, about leaving the colony, about finding a new path and not being Britain's obese baby. I keep calling Shakespeare the oldest deadest of old dead white men and that I've slightly missed the mark. In reality, the works of Shakespeare coming from what the British consider the mists of time are infants compared to the ancient storytelling tradition of the people who have lived in this continent for longer than the British Isles have been free of glaciers. Yes, you heard that right. People have lived here since when the British Isles were uninhabitable and longer than that. We have stories here tens of thousands of years old. Many are so ancient, there's no way to determine even vaguely how ancient. Yet, here we are admiring stories by an infant culture, by people whose only oldest stories are only a couple of hundred years old. Decolonize the continent, decolonize the colony, decolonize the canon, we can do it. Let's start by kicking old Willie Shakespeare to the curb. He's dead, he doesn't care. Also, remember what I said at the start, Shakespeare was of his time. He was contemporary once. He was the modernist contemporary theater of his time. He was even a little bit punk. Like the Impressionists, he was the punk of his day. I imagine, but perhaps I'm the only one who thinks this way, that he might not have approved of 400 year old works when he was alive. And if he was alive today, he probably wouldn't approve of himself. His theatre company, The King's Men, produced original works contemporary and relevant to the people of Europe in the late 16th and 17th centuries. He almost certainly did not perform medieval works, which would have been as out of date to him as his work is to us. If you're offended by, by my desire to kick old Willie to the curb, ask yourself why. Is it because you're worried about the hurt feelings of a dude who died 400 years ago, or because it hurts your feelings? If it hurts your feelings, I'm sorry, but I can't but wonder why you need writing from 400 years ago, from the worst time of the colonial era, why you might be offended that works by a contemporary, perhaps non-white artists, might be as compelling. It's certainly more relevant. You might want to unpack that. What the hell are you really thinking? Also bear in mind, I don't actually disapprove of Shakespeare in the way you might think I do. His language is beautiful, his stories are interesting, if perhaps not as universal as they believe to be. He helped develop British culture and the English language to the point it is today. But really, he helped develop, develop us to where we are today. But are we really that happy with how things are today? So, let him go. 
He's been dead a long time. His works are vampiric. They suck the life out of the world. Let us make room in the canon by clearing out the most abundant of the old wood. If we don't, there might never be enough room for anyone else. It's beyond time. Thank you. How good is it to hear an actual polemic? Absolutely. If you're very quick, you will be able to uh, find some of Claire's books at the bookshop. Uh, and thank you for being here today. Please give one more round of applause to Claire G. Coleman. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe and to rate our channel.